it was something different, but it was in the same vein. And people, you know, really responded to it because, well, I don't know. I don't really know why people respond to anything. They just do. You know, you just connect, right? Welcome to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. My name is David. My friend is Aaron. He had the opportunity in this episode, you're going to hear it. He sat down with Chad Neptune of the band Further Seems Forever. They talk about all sorts of great stuff, including you know those early days uh, when they were in the band Strong Arm and how that eventually transitioned into Further Seems Forever. They talk about going through a couple of different vocalists, some pretty legendary ones in the scene. And in the end, they discuss Chad's five favorite Further Seems Forever songs and what makes them so special, kind of how they came about and what makes them stand out for him. It's a great interview. This is one that Aaron and I kind of went back and forth on on who was going to do it because we both wanted to sit down and chat with uh, Chad about this one. In the end, Aaron uh, did it, which is great. You're going to love it. It's coming up in just a few minutes. But before we get to that, I just wanted to share real quick. Go follow us on social media at Growing Punk Pod. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter there. Uh, you'll find our personal Instagrams and Twitters linked there as well. Uh, of course, we're on Facebook, all that kind of stuff. Wherever you're listening to the show, make sure you uh, tell your friends about it. That's the most important thing. Tell your friends about the show. You got a friend who's a fan of Further Seems Forever uh, or just a fan of music in general? Let, let them know. Why not? Share the show with them. Simple as that. Uh, also, rating and reviewing on the podcast apps will help because that'll you know kind of help get that show into other people's ears, into their feeds, what have you. All that, uh, what do you, podcast jargon, I guess you could say. Anyway, let's get into it. Let's not waste any more time. It's Aaron and Chad from Further Seems Forever talking about his five favorite Further Seems Forever songs. start with um what kind of made you originally want to become a musician was it a gradual thing or a specific event that kind of opened your eyes to the concept of being in a band uh yeah i mean it definitely wasn't gradual um growing up i like my you hear a lot of stories about musicians where their parents were very into music and records and stuff that wasn't me like yeah. my parents were like whatever was on the radio and in only in the car. It wasn't like music in the house and stuff like that. But I think what made me like, I, I always got it. I got into music, you know, like I always found like enjoyment from it and got into hip hop, like early hip hop. Um, and I liked like the culture behind it and the, the like dangerousness of it in its early days, you know, um, yeah. it was very counterculture. And then I got into skating and one of my friends, uh, one of my best friends took me to a show, uh, first like hardcore punk show. 
And I guess I felt like it, like being a musician was like attainable. Like you didn't have to be like Eddie Van Halen or something like that to, to actually play music and to, and to see like other people and like being into it. It was like very in unison, like the crowd and the bands. I was like, this, this is for me. This is, yeah. and so I was, I was probably when I went to that show, I was probably like 13 or 14 or something like that. And then I, I started playing bass when I was about 15, I think. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and I made... picked it up. I was just going to say, I picked up the bass because I thought it was the easiest to learn. Oh, okay. <laughs> and I liked the, I liked the low, like I liked the idea of, you know, like I was always into those like backbone type positions, like whether it's like a goalie in hockey oh, yeah. or like, or, or something like that. Like, and just like the rhythm of it and like the heaviness of it, the low end and just like, um, you don't really know it's there, but when you do, it's like really like you appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. That's your comment about, you know, a musician becoming attainable. I've always thought that was a really interesting aspect to this type of music. You know, when I think about, you know, rappers or pop artists or whatever that get really big, like I always wonder, like at what point, you know, do they kind of get that success or, right? Because to me, it kind of seems like in some of those genres, you're either kind of like nothing or you're the biggest thing, right? Because you just yeah. don't really hear about you know like mid-level pop artists or whatever whereas yeah that's true you know like with punk hardcore metal it's like you can make it you know by you know playing yeah. to two three hundred people a night and you can do that for 10 years and you know do okay but i think you hear that a lot like like with pop artists too or like performers they're like you know they'll like sell a million records and they're really like oh and we're gonna i'm gonna play my first concert on yeah. like <laughs> like next week and you're like okay but it, i think it's same is true like for for you know hip-hop or rap or whatever you know and or indie rock or whatever like bands like nirvana like a lot of people were like oh it's overnight success but they they work very hard for that like for yeah. a lot of years that no one knew about, but just because the rest of the world heard it overnight. Yeah. So I wonder if that's true with those types of bands or, or um, music. Yeah. So kind of switching gears, you know, from starting from the beginning to kind of now, I mean, now you've been playing, you know, in bands music for 25, 30 years or something. What are some of the biggest hurdles you've kind of had to overcome in regards to the changing and shifting of the music industry? Um, you know, I know there's a lot in there, but any kind of specific standouts where you were like, oh, okay, like this is happening now and I need to kind of adjust to that. Um. Yeah. I mean, so further was like an active band for I think until like 2008 or nine or something around there. And so a lot of the big changes in the music industry started happening as we were like winding down, hmm. um, you know, like the Napsters and like people downloading music, that kind of stuff really never affected us because we kind of always 
felt like, oh, well, that's good for us. It kind of levels the playing field, you know, that kind of thing. I think the biggest thing was um, when we did Penny Black in 2013, um, uh, you know, Chris, our, our singer, had been, you know, he's still, you know, doing it, you know, and uh, he... Uh, you know, was like telling us about like all this, like the changes, you know, how, how, how you do records now. It's like, you want to, you know, front load records and people don't really buy records. They buy songs and you want the, the sample of the, you know, the first, like, I guess 30 seconds of a song to like have the hook in it. And, you know, and that, that was always weird to me because I always really enjoyed putting together like a record, like yeah. as an experience. And I think a lot of the people from our scene or our, like generation as old as that sounds probably, you know, have that same kind of feeling. That's why I see like a lot of, like my friends, they just enjoy like putting a record on a turntable and just like hanging out, and just listening yeah. to it where, you know, a lot of people it's just you know it's so easy to get songs now you don't have to like go to a record store or wait for it to come in and order it or whatever it is so, and all those things are very i like i still don't fully understand it you know um, yeah. and the other thing is you know there's really no physical copies unless you get vinyl of like records and and i think like streaming services uh bless you i think streaming services uh take it advantage of of like of records you know yeah it's interesting yeah it's it's um, a whole a different shift that you know when i think you know 10 15 years from now kind of what is there to to kind of remember or take away it's just going to be you know even further away from you know having something to hold on to right like you know whether it's a cd collection or vinyl like it's not like in 15 years it's gonna be like oh yeah i still got that spotify playlist you know from 2020 or 2010 yeah. like there's just it's just kind of all you know just around but nothing really kind of sticks it's a, such a weird thing it's yeah it's like in music's the only art form really that it's it's there's nothing it's all audio right it's not right. Vi visual or tangible or and like how do you collect that and especially if, if it's on demand and everyone can have it at the same moment you know yep. it so it's it's and there's so much of it so i i, I it just like, I don't want to run the risk of sounding like, you know, like the yeah, old no, guy get off my lawn. But, yeah, I, did, I just, I mean, I can't, I came from different back, you know, different air. And, and so I, I like things a certain way. And, um, you know, there's probably a lot of great things that come out of it, too, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, so for those who don't know, I mean, you also played in an amazing hardcore band called Strong Arm in the 90s prior to Further Seems Forever coming together. Um, at what point did Strong Arm kind of become Further Seems Forever? How did that transition come about, you know, both in lineup and in sound? I know that's kind of a lot in there, but I'm really curious kind of how that all shifted. 
Sure. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, we did strong on for a lot of years or it seemed like a lot of years, but thinking back, I guess when you're younger, like yeah. the years are go by a lot slower, but, um, I just, uh, love, we love doing hardcore. We we're, uh, very focused on the, uh, message that, that we were, um, that we were doing or getting across and, it was basically a, like a ministry-based band. Well, we felt like our our like most hardcore bands, we have some something to say and a purpose, you know. And ours was to sort of break down stereotypes around um, Christianity and like faith and stuff like that. Um, so we never thought of it as a career. It was never like we were going to spend the rest of our lives playing this and make money and support our families and things like that. It was just a pure passion and something that we love. And also our musical influences start changing as you start getting older, you start uh, broadening your, your listening, uh, you know, circle, I guess. And uh, just, listening to a lot of different bands and uh you know playing hardcore you get it, it there's only so much you can expand that box i guess sure. and so you know we just want to do something different it wasn't like um you know there wasn't any like great drama or anything like that and i think at the i think it was like early 98 or something like that like uh our, our singer Chris had gotten married and we were like no longer in high school and, you know, try, you know, basically getting into like our young adulthood and like, mm. what do we do with our lives? And we can't just like go on tour in the summer and sleep on people's floors and, you know, come back with nothing in our pockets and, you know, it, it you know, with him being married and, you know, people's lives are moving on. So, um, but we always knew we wanted to continue making music and especially we were like best friends and just want to do it with each other. Um, so, you know, Josh and I, uh, Josh, the guitarist, um, we, we had always, always talked about doing like more of an indie rock band and, um, we actually um, were going to do it with Matt Fox from from Shilude um, yeah. when we first started, um, and and Matt and Josh had been in bands together like since they were like thirteen, or Josh was like thirteen. Matt's a little bit older, um, but um, and you know just we just always had a good friendship and. And Steve, our drummer, he, you know, he's always down to do anything. And his taste of music was always so eclectic and, and, you know, he, he wanted to do it. And, um, and Nick wanted to do it. And originally we were going to do like three guitars and then Shilud started uh, doing more and more. And Matt was like, I just, I mean, he has a different version to the story, I'm sure. Yeah. But we, we basically wrote one song together that was um, Just Until Sundown. 
yeah, just until sundown. That was on the moon is down. And, uh, you know, and basically Matt just devoted most of all his time to Shia Lude. And Steve was doing Shia Lude at the time, too. And we it wasn't like we we wanted to be a band and take it serious. But we weren't going to, like, quit our jobs and, like, do that kind of thing. Um, so then we were like, okay, so what do we do about a singer? You know, we, you know, we're in this hardcore band and, and Chris Carbonell was not a singer, but we right. wanted, you know, we love Chris, but we wanted, uh, wanted someone who actually, you know, was a good singer. And, you know, I remember like, we were just like, well, what kind of singer do we want? And we actually were like, you know, uh, something like John Bunch from Sensefield, that'd be awesome, you know, which is ironic because later yeah. John Bunch ended up singing with us. But um, um, there's a band that from South Florida, the Bacon Andes, that was um, that we would strong arm played with like a million times and we were very friendly and like everyone kind of hung out in the same circle. The scene was very tight knit and and we knew Chris, um, you know, from the scene and just, you know, the most important thing for us was just to have be around good people, you know, and it was never like about your chops and like how good you are. It's right. just, you know, we just want to get along and to, to you know, have a friend, you know, more than anything, because it's it's a journey, you know. Um, and so we asked Chris, like, hey, you know, we want to do this new band. It's going to be this, this, and this. And he was, like, so down. And the Bacon Andes were sort of, like, not doing stuff. And they were kind of breaking up. And they were just kind of floating, I guess, at the time. Um, so, so Chris, you know, he's like, here, let me give you this this tape I did, I'd just been doing like acoustic songs because I have like all this stuff, which was like early dashboard stuff, basically. So we we're like, this is awesome. We got together and it just, gel you know, I think like our first practice, we barely played music. We just like hung out and like laughed and like That's awesome. whatever, you know, and just, um, so that, I mean, that, that was always sort of the best part about being in a band. Like the music is awesome, but it's the the journey with the people, you know. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, so um, yeah, that's how basically we did that transition. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's really cool. I love hearing, you know, because it's pretty unique um, to kind of have just two kind of different identities within music, and both are so influential and. I remember hearing, I think it was maybe on songs from the penalty box, the first version had a song from uh, Advent of a Miracle on it. And, I mean, that was the first time at that point that I had heard, you know, that type of hardcore. And it just was kind of like burned in my memory. It was just like, what is this? Like this, you know, it kind of sounds like punk, but it's, you know, more emotional and, you know, kind of more agonizing sound to it. And, and I mean, yeah, I love those. I have, you know, both those albums on CD still and, 
and uh yeah just kind of love that and then you know, I still remember when Further Seems Forever came out and just, you know, and back then there wasn't as much, you know, there was obviously, obviously no social media or anything. You didn't really have as much information of like, okay, this is this or that, you know, even the internet then, you know, wasn't what it is now. And so it was, yeah, just really interesting and, and unique type of situation. And uh, yeah, so it's cool to hear about that. So with with Chris coming in, we don't. I mean, I, I feel like it's been fairly well documented on other podcasts or interviews. You know, just different singers coming and going, and so we don't necessarily need to get deep into that. But when Chris Caraba joined, um, you know, was it were you guys all thinking that okay, we've got this singer, this is kind of our thing now, you know, or was it always like you know I'll try it, you know, for a bit and kind of see, or kind of what was that dynamic of I guess like, kind of commitment moving forward commitment to the band or commitment to chris as a singer yeah kind of both like did you guys when you guys got together and you were hanging out was it okay we're gonna start this new band like this is what we're hoping for it was totally um you know but like our expectation of a band was was from the punk and hardcore side like you know it was like we go to school we do weekends here and there. Florida, we live in South Florida, so it's not it's very long to get out of the state, you know. Yeah. So to really do stuff. So most of the touring that we did was like winter, summer, like big gaps in, in time between uh school. And then um you know and and play a lot locally. And, and so that was kind of the expectation, like, oh, well, we're just going to kind of sort of pick up where we left off kind of thing. Um, we knew, and I think, I think that was kind of one of the big differences. Like Chris was just like really passionate about music. I mean, we were all passionate about music, but he really wanted to like, lean into it and like get out and, and like quit your job and get on the road and do all that thing. And I think uh, the rest of us, aside from Steve was more like, um, you know, one foot in one foot out, like, Oh, we could do this, this, but I can't, I need to like have my job or, mm. you know, I, you know, you know, some of us had serious girlfriends at the time or something, you know, whatever it was, you know, um, and I think that was a little bit of a, uh, it was a big division because, you know, we were trying to figure out how to do it without giving up too much, mm. you know, and, and, um, that you just, if you want your band to be successful, if you want your music to be successful, yeah, you have to there's there's a little bit of luck but you got to make your luck and the more chance that you do do like the more chances you take by going out on the road and just you know giving up you you have more chance for luck i guess you would say yeah um and and then yeah i mean you have to write you know songs that people you know can connect with and you have to get that, like, give them that opportunity to connect with it. And yeah. you, it's like I tell young bands, like I, 
uh, you know, people ask me, well, how do you do this? And how do you make it? And I'm like, it's not, you got to work hard. You got to go out and just do everything that you possibly can, whether, and don't think too hard about it. Like you can't like, oh, well, should we do this show or should we not do this show? And just who cares? Just, <laughs> just do it. Just, yeah. Yeah, that because that's why you're do, you're doing it because you love to do it, and I think for us, like uh, being genuine is is what spoke to people, and mm. that we are who we were, we are who we are, and and that was it, you know. Um, so so that that was hard, um, just like bringing it back, um, like we had some different ideas on what it was what the band you know would be or become you know um like for instance josh our guitar player he he um you know got married and he was like yeah i just i don't i want to be in the band i love writing music he's a big part of writing music but i don't want to tour and I can't tour. So we always had like a, a fill-in guitar player, someone that we would, you know, basically play his parts. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's some great insight into kind of how those shifts happen. So let's, yeah, let's get into some of these songs and albums. So let's start with The Moon Is Down, which was the debut album released March 27th, 2001 by Tooth & Nail. Um, so what, what was Tooth & Nail's thoughts on this? Like, now it's you know fairly common where you know a tooth and nail band turns into another one or has a different project but i feel like you guys were maybe even the first or one of the first where you know you had already released albums on the label and then kind of made this big switch do you remember kind of what their thoughts were or was it just like yeah whatever you guys want to do well we're happy to release um well no i mean so you know they were always pretty supportive of like strong arm and stuff and when we broke up they're you know they're very supportive like understood we you know did everything we could for for the records that we put out with them um uh but our initial thought was you know with further was you know let's try to get a different fan base you know um because now i guess we want to try to make a living or try to get out to a different, you know, uh, you know, demographic, I, you would say as businessy as that sounds, yeah. but you know, there, there was a lot of other great labels doing stuff at the time that were putting out great records that, you know, we wanted to, you know, see if we could be a part of whether or not it was Jade tree or, or vagrant or um, dog house and like, you know labels like that and and we sent a we sent our demo to all those guys you know and um you know didn't really get much of a, a response we we sent our, our demo to um uh oh my gosh it's escaping me now um they put out the emo diary stuff uh well sure uh oh my gosh it's, it's driving me nuts <laughs> well, think no, but, um yeah so anyway but you know so we sent you know 
we wanted to do something different basically yeah you know and you know and i sent it to tooth and nail uh particularly bill power who was our a and r uh guy there and he's also a friend and he bill was always into the same type of stuff that we were and more even more so some of the indie rock influences that 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 we were trying to um, that we were harnessing more with further um and you know bill got right back he's like yeah i want to do this i you know i really love this let's let's do it you know um so it, it was encouraging to us that they really were excited about doing it because you know, a lot of times labels will do stuff. They'll be like, okay, but you know, they're not that into it. And you know, it, it kind of falls by the wayside. So it was important for us to have people that were excited about doing, working with us. And, you know, at that time it was all about distribution and exposure and stuff like that. And, um, you know, so that was the, the might of a, of a record label. Yeah, for sure. Do you remember how the creative process felt for this album? Like, do the songs come together fairly easily considering you were, you know, writing in a different capacity now? How, what was that dynamic like? Our songs are, we write our music like so backwards. Like it's just, it's really weird. Like I, I see, like I listen to podcasts and, I see like documentaries on how people write songs and bands write songs. I'm like, what? That's like not even close to the way we do it. And we just kind of like made up our own formula, but it takes forever. Like, mm. uh, I guess normally a lot of bands or, or songwriters will write like, you know, 50 songs, a hundred songs, and then like whittle them down, you know, in the pre-production and all this stuff. But like we would write a part and if we didn't like the part we would say we would just accident you know yeah. so we were like basically crafting the song like and we don't we wouldn't move it was very linear the process we would we wouldn't move on until we got the one part right you know mm. so it it took us a long time it uh so I think from the time we signed with tooth and nail to the time our record, like I remember getting this (laughs) vividly getting a voicemail from bill power, um, saying, all right, when's y'all shit coming out already? (laughs) You know, like we just took, took forever, you know? So, um, and and we're still like that to this day. It just takes us a long time to do it. And I guess we're kind of wired that way. So, yeah. Well, and the music itself, I mean, the same with Strongarm, I can remember hearing it, and I think it stood out, because I was like, okay, this isn't, you know, at that time, I was listening to a lot of punk, which is a lot more straightforward song structures, and as soon as I heard Strongarm, I could tell, like, okay, there's way more going on here than, you know, than what I'm used to, and I think that carries on with First Seems Forever, you know, even when I still listen, it's like, you know, how, how are they piecing all these different parts together? I mean, it all works, but... You know, just it takes kind of a certain kind of creative type to to do that. So I could see how, especially yeah. shifting the sound, you know, it, it still has this similar kind of flow to the songs, but in a totally different dynamic. 
Yeah, I and I think that's yeah. I mean, that's definitely attributed to the way we write. Like in like in that linear process, just we we try to pay attention to the details because um, and mostly because we want to make it interesting. We want to yeah. keep the listener guessing. We like it to be surprising and you know um, something that's not expected, but we also don't want to make it weird just for the sake of being weird. Um, and so, yeah. So, I mean, there's, it's, it's a balance, you know, but like, as we started getting better at our craft and like being, you know, our musicianship and, and all the, and like just learning more about music, you know, uh, you know, it became, like more of what our sound is right and with further like i think further honestly is just a natural evolution from strong arm strong arm was like yes we had very metallic guitars like crunching and stuff but essentially it's the same thing we wanted melody we wanted transition we wanted um you know surprise in our music so i mean it's essentially along those same lines Except, you know, we didn't have a problem like, uh, you know, slowing it down a little bit. Yeah. Except you're not doing a, a, a breakdown. It's more like just like a normal, hey, we're going to bring it down. Yeah, yeah no, that's a good way of, of looking at it. So since this was, this was your first album as a new band, you know, how did you find the response and the growth of the band? You know, to me as an outsider, it seemed like that, that growth and recognition happened pretty fast. But I know that's, you know different for someone actually experiencing versus just you know seeing interviews or ads and magazines and just assuming things are going well i think we yeah it definitely i mean moon is down is our first record obviously and um i think that strong arm gave us definitely a momentum we weren't like um we weren't starting from square one you know, so I think people were very, you know, curious about what what we were doing, you know, um, and, um, you know, I think the time like people's music as they're growing up, like they, you know, bands were different types of bands were getting popular, right? The Get Up Kids, yeah, Saves a Day and Death Cab for Cutie and all those bands were were coming to Jimmy Eat World, right? Yeah. And um so like that i guess you would call it that emo scene right like um uh, i mean i always just call it indie rock but whatever um but you know that was starting to really gain ground you know definitely I, i think i think a lot of that fed from like punk and hardcore it was sort of like a natural progression so you know, like we ended up there because that, you know, we wanted to do different things just like all those other bands. But I think people were thirsty for that new kind of like, like sound that had more melody into it, you know, that, you know, we always called it uh, music for guys who, for music for guys who like hardcore's girlfriends. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there know? we go. So, I mean, you know, but like, it's just, you know, it was a little bit, you know, more palatable, I guess, for your average listener. 
so I, I think like um you know it was like i could play the music for my parents and they'd be like okay i see what you're doing you know rather yeah. than you know and that must so, have been a good feeling too just knowing like it's a little bit more mainstream and digestible and you know even just the hopes of like okay maybe we can grow this thing a little bit more than a previous project yeah yeah um definitely and you know we we're you know, we just tried to get on every show and, and, you know, eventually like, yeah, people caught on, uh, and yeah, I, I don't even know if I answered your question. Yeah. Yeah. But. Yeah. No, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's talk about, uh, the two of the songs that you picked from this one. So the first one is the moon is down.
which is the opening track. You know, this is the classic for this Seems Forever song that caught many people's ears immediately. Even still, when it comes on, it takes me back to when I kind of first heard this album. Did you guys know right away that this would be the opening song when you guys wrote it? Um, or that it would be the title track with, you know, the album no, title? No, I don't it, think or? so. I think... Um, you know, I think when we wrote the song, like, I was like, oh, you know, I love the song. But I think once we recorded it, it kind of took on a new shape, mm, you know? That's cool. Um, so, and it was, so we did some early demos of some of the other songs that were on the record. Um, and this was one of the newer ones. But I remember thinking to myself, like, um, this song kind of encompasses a lot of what i want out of this band it it has like feeling and it has aggression and it's uh, interesting and it's and it the lyrics meant a lot to me and chris's um way of telling a story and uh was really develop developing and and just like I think he just hit the nail on the head, like with the lyrics and just like really, uh, I, I just identified with it, you know? And, and I think the, you know, when it came to, you know, sequencing the record, you know, we knew that we wanted to come out with like a banger basically. And, and it just, we were just like, yeah, this is the song, you know? Yeah, and well, we didn't know it was going to be a title track. We didn't know what we were going to name the record. So, yeah, well, I'm assuming this is a song that you know continued to be a fan favorite over the years. That you you know you would play in in you know your sets, even maybe until now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it you know uh, you know we still kind of approach our shows a, a lot like a like a hardcore show, you know, and there's just uh, you know, sing-alongs in that song, and we, yeah. you know, just we just love that, and that's kind of what what you know. When we think about like what a good show is, it's sing-alongs. It's yeah. the crowd singing along and us singing and just together, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the second one you picked is a new desert life. This is where And I'll 
This is the second-to-last track with a hidden track. And, uh, yeah, so not many, you know, guys choose, you know, out songs so kind of close to the end of the album and something, you know, different like this. Why does this song stand out to you and what was kind of going on with the creative process with this one? Yeah, so this, uh, so this is a song that we were working on right up until, like, literally the last second that we had to record. Um, and Steve and Josh and, and weed and I, and, uh, you know, everyone, but like we were working on and just like knew that we had something with the song, like, but it was missing, you know, a transition. It was missing how to get from one part to the other. And we just, we're just like, but you know, we just love the the riff we love the um the feel of it you know and we knew we wanted it and we just just were working like literally like in like in the studio you know and like at so let me preface that like like our recording but we didn't have a huge recording budget we you know like some bands get to go in and just write in the studio and like like we had like you have this amount of time and then it then you're done you know yeah so you know there's a lot of stress there but um i remember basically you know steve and at the very end steve and josh were just like okay let's just do this like and they just lock lock themselves in the room because Steve had to do the drums first obviously and then they're like okay we got it and we're like, okay, let's hear it. And we we're like, okay, yeah, that's it, you know. And, um, and it it's still one of my favorite songs to play. No matter what lineup, we usually play that song. I think it's probably the one of the songs that every member of the band, you know, probably loves yeah, you know, awesome. to play. And I just it, it goes it goes from so many ranges. The song it's, yeah. it's it starts out, you know, very um, you know aggressive, and then it gets very like rhythmic and and melodic, and then it ends up like like almost droning, you know. Yeah. And and it's it's it, and it just kind of came together, and it it was just. Um, it was it was awesome to see. Yeah, right on. Yeah, well, moving on to the next one, How to Start a Fire, which is your second album released on February 11th, 2003. Uh, so I had seen you guys for the first time the summer, I guess, before this at Cornerstone 2002. And uh, yeah, I mean, I still have pictures of it in a photo album and that the performance stood out. So, <laughs> so Jason uh, was singing for you, I guess, already by then. Um, yeah, so this album would go on to sell over a hundred thousand copies by 2013. So it's you know I know that's ten years after its release, so it definitely wasn't overnight. But you know it's still quite a success for a band your size. And you know I remember seeing just so much more about Further Seems Forever at this point. Um, did you guys notice that significant growth and recognition between these two albums? Kind of how had that yeah, all played absolutely. out? Absolutely. Um... Yeah, I mean, a lot happened within the band between the two records, um, like a lot. <laughs> you know, um, Chris obviously left the band, and 
went on to do dashboard confessional dashboard probably everyone knows because they for for a long period of time were very uh very in the conscious of popular music yeah um, and um and you know it was interesting i talked earlier about chris's passion for music and and how he just wanted to at all costs you know do his music and basically that's why he ended up like doing dashboard you know because you know he had that drive and it was kind of inspiring actually you know um to see like someone's hard work and, you know, someone that we obviously are close to, you know? Um, and, you know, at that time there was a lot of South Florida bands that were getting pretty, you know, popular newfound glory. And, you know, there, there's, there's, you know, like bands that we were friends with and people that we were friends with. Um, so we kind of shifted our attitude as, hey, let's just give it a shot. Let's let's quit our jobs. Let's do what we ha- can do. You know, Jason joined the band, um, and uh, and we, you know, Chris had left the band before the Moon's Down actually came out, right? And uh, so we just like went on the road and did as many tours as we could even just playing moon is down with Jason. And we were just like, I don't, I mean, we weren't trying to replace Chris. Like we were, you know, like with a copycat, we we wanted someone that had their own thing. And Jason had his own energy and he has his own uh, vibe and his own passion and his own talents. And so all that stuff kind of culminated and we ended up, doing more touring you know with jason than than anybody obviously and um we we played a lot of small shows we played you know anything we could but what that did was um you know i think people were able to still connect with us and then we started writing new music and it was something different but it was in the same vein and people you know really responded to it because well i don't know i don't really know why people respond to anything they just do you know you just connect right yeah but i think you mentioned it before that you know this type of music was you know was blowing up a lot more and you know a lot more it seemed like there was a lot more kind of opportunity it was more accessible and and so I think that, you know, kind of played, you know, it was kind of the right, right time for a band like you guys. Yeah. And, you know, and we kind of shot ourselves in the foot a, a little bit, you know, with, with the member changes. And then there was always, there's, you know, to this day, there's like team Chris, team Jason, team John, you know, but I, it, you know, it's fine. No, you know, we, it's you know everyone has their opinions and that's and that's awesome but the truth be known like when house star fire came out it like the, i remember getting the first week sound scan sounds for those that don't know sound scans is yeah. is basically how they measure you know the sales of a record and usually the first week is probably the most important 
Yeah. And for us, it was a big deal because we had been through so much in the band, like, and to get a validation that it was successful like that. And I think it like debuted number one on the billboard heat seekers, which is like for new artists that haven't been on billboard before. I mean, that was amazing. Like we were like above like Michael Bublé, you know, (laughs) still are. Yeah. (laughs) Screw that guy. Yeah. Anyway. (laughs) uh, But no, I mean, so in it, in a lot of ways, the title how to start a fire was about like kindling that passion in your heart, you know, to get yourself, you know, basically, are you going to like uh, Shawshank Redemption says, get busy living or get yeah, busy dying. Damn, right. Yeah. What are you going to do? Right. So we were like, let's get busy living, you know? So we knew like we loved, you know, we weren't going to have a chance in our lives to go out and do what we love to do. You know, you get that chance, you know, very seldom in your life. So let's try to take advantage of this and to have an even more rare is to have some kind of validation that, Hey, like this is actually working and people actually like what you're doing was, was a pretty amazing thing, you know? And, all the guys in the band at the time, it was a major accomplishment for us you know, yeah. to to go through that and to have that kind of validation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, let's talk about the song that you picked from this album. So you you picked the the track "The Deep."
yeah, what is what, how has this song impacted you, or why is it special to you? Yeah, so I just want to say, like, you know, having me pick five songs was a cool and mean thing to do. Yeah, sorry. Because they're all my children. <laughs> yeah. Right? But, like... <laughs> well, it could be five, you know, that have a special... It doesn't have to be favorites, yeah, just I'd five with... Yeah. <laughs> well, so there's always the, do you pick the popular ones or do you pick the, you know, do you try to be more obscure? But I tried to be honest, you know? Yeah, and well, for cool. me, being a bass player, like, I always kind of gravitate to ones that are more fun to play. For yeah, me. for sure. Like, because there's, you know, there's songs that are, aren't as fun to play, but are definitely more of a crowd pleaser type song. Yeah. Um. So, the deep i i just i just love the the song like as a whole it kind of in that same band as new desert life like it it kind of goes through all the things i like about music it has like melody and you know heaviness and you know it, it has weird time signatures and it's just a really fun song to play. I think Jason did an awesome job singing the song Yeah, and you know, it's just, it's just, it's just one of my favorites, you know, like every time I can play it, I, you know, we try to get that in, in the set list. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, even speaking about bass and, you know, back to, changing styles like was that something you know in that transition that you know you were excited about or nervous where it's like okay like the songs are a bit more open yeah. now right because with hardcore you know a lot of time with bass or even drums like you know it's kind of just kind of keeping the flow of the song it doesn't really necessarily add its own dynamic to it whereas something with first seems forever like it gives you a lot more room to to move around and kind of add to the song yeah I mean, I always tried to do something that made it uh, a little bit more interesting rather than just, you know, playing your bass notes. But like, um, but yeah, I mean, mostly I think a a lot of it, like I noticed, um, you know, it was, it was in hardcore, it's fast, you know, a lot of like eighth notes, just like going, 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 you know, um, and with further, like you said, it's just, I, you know, oh, I could let this breathe here or like, you know, find, you know, lock in with the kick drum or like, you know, you know, you know, find that rhythm that's going to, that makes your head bob like kind of thing or, or, or maybe like, you know, hit that like note that doesn't quite clash, but it kind of sounds cool, you know, with you know so yeah i mean it 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 was definitely like a different approach like and it made me uh it made me better at what i do i think yeah yeah that's cool to have those experiences that right because i mean some bands when they just kind of stay the same and i mean lots are fine just you know playing what they play but when you kind of get that opportunity it's like okay i can kind of maybe push myself or do something different than maybe i thought i would be doing and so that's just yeah, a cool little aspect to music when those shifts come and you get those opportunities to yeah, kind of push yourself a bit. Yeah. Yeah, so let's uh, move on to the album Hide Nothing, which is a third album released on August 24th, 2004, again by Tooth & Nail. 
Uh, so you guys uh, did this one with James Paul Wisner at a studio in Florida. Um, so this was kind of, so, you know, Jason kind of got as far as recording vocals for, for one track before leaving. Um, you know, we don't necessarily need to get into, you know, whatever drama that did or did not come around that. But what was that like for you guys as a band, just, you know, going into this album and then it's like, okay, you know, we're at this point again where we're trying to, you know, change a singer and, you know, that, that's got to kind of throw you for a loop. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it was super deflating. You know, it was definitely not. I think we were that record that we were working on that became Hide Nothing was probably going to be a like our our big turning point record. I think you know, um, just like to actually, you know. Uh, put us into a different uh, realm as far as music, you know, uh, or career wise, you know, at that time there was a lot of major labels and they were like, you know, trying to just like snatch up bands in our genre, like whatever band, you know, Um, you know, and we were with tooth and nail, but um, you know, I, I just, it was, when Jason left the band, it it was really hard because we had been through it, obviously, and we knew what kind of how much work we did to get out of that hole that we were in, and it seemed like a daunting task to us. To definitely, but we were in a similar situation again, where we had all these songs written, not only written but recorded already without vocals and we're like okay well like what do we you know like what do we do and the the only answer basically we we had was like well we did it we did it before but you know we can do it again but it's got to be different because we're not gonna uh you know, go out and blaze the trail with the news. We need to find someone who can step in, who has a name for themselves, who has the experience, who has, you know, who doesn't need to come up to speed, basically. Yeah. You know, and our tour manager, um, Chuck, basically, uh, he he had tour managed Sensefield and he was friends with them and they were had just broken up and he had suggested like hey you guys should like give John Punch a call you know and we're like hey okay you know I had, that would be amazing you know um, being that they're one of our influences and you know uh, he was exactly the kind of person that that we thought about when we started the band yeah, and he's exactly the type of person we needed at that moment. And so I had called John and had a conversation with him and John and for anyone that knows John knows that he's like one of the easiest people to talk to. And so going back to the beginning of like, we just, we need to be in a band with someone that we can be friends with. It's not just about the music um, that he absolutely filled that 
And, you know, John had his own reservations, too, because he was coming out of Sensefield and, you know, it was a hard situation. And, you know, they had been through a lot. But John was always, you know, the consummate uh, singer and wanted to do as much as he can and knew that that was what he was good at. And that's where um, he was supposed to be. And I, I know that John called Chris and Chris and John talked about it and Chris was like, John, I think you should do it. You know, like, I, you know, so like Chris is actually instrumental too, in a way of, of getting John to, to do it. And so John came down to Florida and we like hung out and stuff. And he was in a hard situation because he had basically to write these lyrics to songs that were already written that he had not a lot of, uh, control at that point on like hey you know i think we should like you know move this verse or cut this in half yeah. or whatever you know so it um but you know john also you know and i know this from listening to to interviews um and like things that he's told me is that you know he had always just connected he he liked he loved what he heard, you know, he found a lot of fabric in the music and layers that he just like connected to. And so he uh, came down and he stayed at um, James's James Wisner's house and, and they, and, you know, like they worked a lot on just, and John would write lyrics and sing during the day and write at night, sing during the day again. And, you know, um, did that for, I don't know, like two or three weeks or something. And the hard situation that he came into, like he just did an amazing job, you know? Yeah. Well, yeah. And it's kind of a crazy situation to come into. And so, I mean, yeah, had he not been available, like who knows kind of what would have happened. And so, yeah, it's great. You were able to find someone that had at least some experience, even though they're kind of coming in blindly, you know, in some regards, but being able to pick that up and yeah did a fantastic job on this album so let's talk about the song for all we know
song is a bit deeper than in the track listing again you know towards the end this song features a much more stripped down arrangement which i don't remember you guys kind of doing a lot of um so how did this song come about yeah so i mean this is interesting and it's interesting for me to pick because i there's no bass on the on that song yeah <laughs> like i didn't do anything uh but i was involved in the in the song obviously but like you know um Basically, you know, Josh can't, you know, he, you know, a lot of the ideas would start with Josh and, uh, you know, probably like 90% of the songs at that point. And, uh, you know, he had this song that he wrote on his, uh, like he always wrote on his acoustic guitar, you know, but when he was playing it, it just sounded so good on you know his acoustic guitar and we we're just like yeah i just think that's what it should you know this is what the song should be you know and again like i see a common theme now that i'm always picking songs at the end of the record yeah, but, yeah, which, yeah that's, that's cool there's <laughs> often lots of stories but, to that you know so yeah i mean i so i get very into sequencing records and i think the end of the record um, like I love listening to records as a whole, definitely. And yeah, I think the too. end of the record is just as important as the beginning. Yeah, of course. You know, um, and I think that um, that record or that song, um, just you know, I just love the feel of it. And then John, um, I remember him like having a conversation. He's like, I just I don't know what I'm going to do on this, this song, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, at that time I, you know, I was married and, you know, had a kid and I, you know, was at home and, uh, they were, uh, James's studio was like outside of Orlando and Kissimmee. And, um, you know, John was just, you know, kind of, like a little bit baffled on what he was going to do with the song. So I remember when I got the first mix or, or not mix, but rough of the, the song, he's like, you know, what do you think? I was like floored, you know? Um, and then the lyrics really touched me, you know, like, and they still do. And they kind of give me chills to this day, knowing that John had passed away now. Yeah. 
and um and i remember we did that um benefit show for for john after he passed away in philadelphia and um richie from into another and so many other great um new york hardcore bands that john was like really great friends with um he told me how uh uh john told him that it was one of his favorite songs and he just thinks it's like such a beautiful song and richie ended up singing it uh with us and so that song to me always kind of has a special place you know yeah well that's awesome yeah just all those different elements that come together and and especially songs that you know like kind of have that lasting value right that even now you know kind of means something different with john gone and just a different influence that that a song can have and yeah i agree with closing songs i mean it's yeah like i said it's not necessarily typically what guys go towards um or band members but yeah i mean the same with me right because that's kind of the last thing that you hear that makes you want to be like okay i want to listen to this album again and so yeah it's really neat hearing kind of how those come together especially for a song like this that you know is more stripped down doesn't have you know maybe some of the same elements that you're known for but Again, it's kind of that lasting value of of something different and unique. So I think that's that's really cool. Yeah. So let's uh, go to the the last album. So Penny Black, which is the fourth album, came on October twenty third, two thousand twelve, through Rise Records. It marks the reunion of the original lineup, and is uh, the first album you know since um, all together since the moon is down. And this was also the first album since breaking up in 2006. So kind of, I mean, you don't have to necessarily give the long version, but kind of how did this all come back together, you know, with the original lineup and doing another album and getting Chris back? And I know there's a lot of kind of pieces to that and on a new label too. Yeah, so, um, so, I mean, we, like, even though the band had, you know, drama, like, we all remain friends, you know, and we've always in... And that that was always important. And Chris lived in New York for a long time um, while he was doing uh, Dashboard um, at you know at its peak, you know. And um, the rest of us lived in South Florida. Chris um, ended up moving back to South Florida um, in I don't know maybe two thousand nine ish 10 ish i don't know i the tears escape me yeah, but, yeah it's all good um and you know, we we would just hang out like you know every you know everyone in the band and just you know we'd go to dinner we'd do whatever you know um we did uh i know like we did skate and surf fest um we did a reunion with the moon is down we played it from front to back and um i forget what year that was but i know when we did that we had such a good time and we were like yeah we should we should like do this you know more often you know kind of thing um so it was always kind of in the back of our mind you know um and after uh further basically stop being an active band um uh we you know chris was uh 
I'm trying to remember exactly yeah, how, like how it ended up, but yeah. basically, uh, Chris had a studio that, um, in South Florida that, um, and he was just like, Hey, you know, let's, let's hang out at the studio. So we'd hang out at the studio. Hey, you know, like, let's, uh, let's play some songs. You know, we played, you know, we'll play some old songs and then like, Hey, uh, what do you think about this riff? Or what do you think about this? You know? And like, it ended up like we were, we started writing songs, you know, and, uh, it wasn't like something that was like conscious, but then at some point we were like, Hey, uh, I think we're writing a record here. Like, <laughs> so, and, and that took a long time. Like I said, like our, the way we write, um, just took a very long time and our experience, like, um, was different right so i mean chris at this point like he's always been like you know some people like get comfortable in the way what they do but chris was always honing this craft mm. craft he's taking guitar lessons he's still taking singing lessons he's learning music theory he's doing you know like everything he can to be better so i mean he brought like basically a whole different element when we were writing that that record you know um it took us i think like three years to to like basically be like okay we're ready to record this record yeah and so it basically just came out and it was kind of awesome because we didn't have a lot of that pressure from like a record label to say hey you guys you know when's your shit coming out yeah kind of taking it (laughs) back but you know so um it it was it was for all the reasons we started the band you know and none of the reasons we didn't want to be band. and i think we and then you know ever since then like kind of our band motto is no pressure like if you want to go hang out with with your wife and eat Cheetos and watch like reruns of South Park instead of come to practice. I get it. I don't care. Yeah. That's awesome. Do it. You know, like no pressure, you know, we're, um, and I think that was like, we realized like we put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And so it was great to, to do it in that environment and to have, you know, chris's studio and at our disposal and just be able to like just take our time and you know do do it the way we wanted to you know um so yeah i mean that's kind of and then with rise so you know at some point we were like you know we're actually thinking we were going to just put it out ourselves but you know, like I said, like I was learning at that point, like a lot about how the industry changed because I, you know, had been out of it for so long. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think kind of everyone except for Chris um, was kind of in that situation too. So, um, Chris, uh, you know, we were like, well, let's see what's out there. And the guys at Rise Records um, were like, big for their fans and like really wanted to do the record so they um yeah that's so that's how basically that ended up yeah coming cool. about. yeah yeah and it must have felt good just to kind of have a fresh start like you said without the pressure and 
And, uh, and I mean, it, it seems like it's fairly common with a lot of bands that, you know, they, they blow up and they become this entity and, you know, they kind of have to keep the machine going and then they stop and then they come back when they kind of realize like we can kind of do this on our own terms. And it's kind of too bad that that doesn't happen more. I get that there's, you know, a yeah. system in place to keep things going and whatever, but it almost is a detriment to, to musicians and artists, right. To, to do their best work. And so, it's cool that so many opportunities have have come back for bands like you guys to kind of reinvent yourselves, you know, in some ways. Yeah, I mean, it's awesome that I. It's like I tell people, it's it's like I almost kind of live a double life, you know. Like I'll go to my son's baseball games or something, and parents are like, "Oh, you're in a band, you play local," you know. And I'm like, "Oh man, I'm so <laughs> glad that I don't have to do that." Like it's a real blessing, like. You know, every once in a while, when we want to play shows, we'll do it and we can do it on our terms. And and that's it it is. It's a blessing. It really is. You know. Yeah. Let's talk about the song Engines. another song closer to the end of the album you know to me this sounds like a classic for this seems forever song you know it's cool to have chris back in the mix um yeah why does this song stand out to you well it was i think the first song that we wrote 
um, after all those years, you know, like the original lineup. So, oh, cool. Um, it was, it was, it was awesome, you know. Um, I think we did like a secret local show in like West Palm, Florida, and, um, and, it, it was just, it was awesome to do it. And we played that song and it just felt so right, you know? And it was, it was just, I mean, main, mainly it just, it's because it was that first one back with the original mm. lineup. And, and I, I love the song. It kind of seems like a hardcore song to me. And, you know, I like, always kind of gravitate towards that in a certain way yeah um so yeah yeah that's awesome yeah that must have been that must have felt good to to get back and be creative and you know not to have these new memories of just kind of what that was like and having those feelings of excitement again and and uh yeah so that's that's really cool yeah so kind of in closing i know you guys you know recently played furnace fest which you know i'm assuming was awesome you know based off the videos i saw looked like a lot of fun you know, any other plans to play shows in the coming years or is it, you know, like I know you Absolutely. said kind of as things come and, you know, kind of how is, you know, I know with COVID that's probably been hard to plan anything, but yeah. yeah. What's kind of the future for further seems forever at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, we, so we were supposed to go to Japan, uh, with, um, the Jason lineup and, uh, house Starfire lineup and, um, that got canceled because of COVID twice. And so, I mean, hopefully we'll get back there. Um, the other thing, um, you know, we, we have the moon is down. The 20 year anniversary came out during COVID. So we're, you know, we're throwing a mulligan, but we plan on doing stuff like, uh, for moon is down, uh, for that 20 year, we have some things that will, probably be announcing in the coming weeks but um you know just some some cool nostalgic stuff and you know we will we'll always are open to shows in, unless someone wants to watch reruns of south park you and, can do it at the uh, same time just have a screen in the background with south park playing yeah. what you could play <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so um yeah i mean we're we're just we're just open whatever makes sense like like furnace fest made sense to us um because you know it was uh very like it was about our error you know yeah and um and it seemed awesome you know it was a little scary because of the covid stuff you know but um it, I think it ended up like I, I think I haven't heard any negativity come out of, uh, from people, and I just I just think people had a great time. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, we just we're always looking for adventure. You know, um, we like to say let's put some wind in our sails. You know, so something to look forward to. You know. Yeah, for sure. Um, so it's just you know if it feels right, we'll, we'll do it. You know. Yeah, well, it's cool that those opportunities keep coming. So that's exciting that that uh, we have something to look forward to as fans. And yeah, I hope that uh, those things can come about for you guys. But uh, yeah, well, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk today and to share. It's been a lot of fun, and yeah, just I love going back and 
hearing stories about albums and songs that are influential and so yeah really appreciate you uh, hanging out today yeah yeah thank you thanks for having me